Welcome to Market Chat, government industry communication and collaboration. A discussion with the Department of Homeland Security Procurement, sponsored by Government Marketing University. Here's today's moderators, Luann Brossman and Steve Watkins. Welcome to Market Chat, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. I am Luann Brossman, and I am the CEO and founder of Government Marketing University. And my co-host today is Steve Watkins, who is our Chief Content Officer. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Luann. So for our listeners, um, we, we really thank you for coming today. And what we're going to cover is the typical information that we bring to our listeners through Market Chat. We talk about that we bring clarity to the clutter in government marketing, and that's exactly what we do. We make sure that we're bringing together government and industry uh, to ensure that our listeners walk away very empowered with greater knowledge on how to market to your targeted federal audience. In this episode of Market Chat, we're going to hear from three senior procurement officials from the Department of Homeland Security today. And Steve, I'm really excited about this program. Um, I've been very excited. They're going to offer us a lot of insights and tips on how industry vendors can better market and sell to the Department of Homeland Security. So some of the topics that we'll cover today, and as we always know, we tend to go to other topics as the, the discussion flows. We're going to talk about um, the DHS's contract trends and initiatives, as well as how they approach emerging technologies. So I'm looking forward to that because that's important for marketers to know, you know what's coming down the path and best practices for marketing and sales into the Department of Homeland Security. So let me tell you a little bit about the guests that we have today. As I mentioned, we have three senior level executive directors um, coming out of Department of Homeland Security. So our first guest today is Paul Courtney. He is the Deputy Chief Procurement Officer. And Paul, thanks for coming today. Thank you for having us. Our next guest is Darlene Bullock. Darlene is the Executive Director of the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. Welcome. Thanks so much. Thank you. And our third guest is Jackie Rubino. Jackie is the Executive Director of the Strategic Programs Division. And again, thank you to our guests. We're really excited to hear what you have to say today. Steve, I'm going to pass it over to you. Great. Thanks, Luann. So, yeah, we're going to get all sorts of juicy, uh, good tidbits and insights uh, about DHS acquisition and how marketers and sales teams can uh, best engage uh, with the DHS uh, procurement uh, officials. Uh, I'll just start off by saying, uh, you know, there's a website called the itdashboard.gov, which uh, is created by OMB, and you'll find on there, um, in terms of IT budgets, and that's uh, a large part of who's listening uh, to this show is uh, folks in the uh, IT sector, but the uh, the Homeland Security Department IT budget is roughly $7.3 billion, uh, and I was a little surprised. I knew it was going to be one of the bigger ones in government, but it's actually the second. It's only behind DOD. Uh, it's, it's bigger than VA, bigger than HHS, and, and a lot of the other uh, departments you might uh, think are in those top tiers. So uh, this is an important show uh, for, for our audience for that reason. Um, so I'll start with uh, Paul, if, if you don't mind. Uh, why don't you start us off by uh, telling us a little bit about some of the big trends that are occurring within the Homeland Security Department acquisition program and kind of how those trends are affecting uh, the way you're engaging with vendors. Thanks, Steve. And again, thanks, Steve and Luann, for having us today. Happy to have Jackie and Darlene here as well, two, two awesome senior executives in DHS and are experts in the field across the federal government. So I'm, I'm very glad they're with us today. Um, so first of all, uh, I want to say, you know, being, being part of the acquisition workforce of DHS, which is 1,400 people, it's a, it's a massive workforce, our job every day is to deliver goods and services to protect our home front. So a very important mission. We buy stuff that's like ships to protect the coastline. Um, we buy equipment for the airports to, that you may have seen as you, when you go through the airport. Um, we also train our federal law enforcement officers, not just DHS, but across the federal government. Um, we also, uh, when natural, natural disasters occur, we buy the goods and services to help, help America recover. I mentioned 1,400 folks within DHS's acquisition workforce. We procure seven-plus billion dollars in IT, but overall, $23 billion of goods and services every year. So it's a, an over 74 transactions to, to buy those goods and services. So the trends we see are we want to make sure that our, our workforce are proactive and respond to the ever-changing whether it's threats to the country, to the homeland, for other things. So we're constantly looking for ways to innovate the way we provide services to our customers. And one of the ways we want to op op operationalize innovation. We don't want it just to do it in their spare time. Folks think about it. They have a couple extra minutes. Hey, how can I innovate this? We really want to operationalize it. 
By that I mean I want it to be ingrained, we want it to be ingrained in what they do day in and day out, not just you know, as, as they think they can do it. So part of our goal was to make sure when, when our contracting staff and acquisition workforce is trained, they're, they're trained to look at innovation each and everything they do, each and every day. And Darlene, let me turn to you about um, the small business component of, of the acquisition program at DHS. So um, how does your uh, office, uh, the Office of uh, Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, how are you engaging with the vendor community and, and uh, what are some of the recent trends there? So uh, thanks for the question. but. That title is very long, so we usually say Ozdebu. Right. <laughs> a lot of people don't, uh, and when you say Ozdebu, they say, what does that mean? So now we both have the acronym and the description. Right. So um, I'll say Ozdebu to make it a little uh, easier for sure. this conversation. So, and that's widely used in most federal agencies and is that acronym. One of the millions of acronyms. Yeah, that we one of the millions. But <laughs> now we have a new one. Right. When you hear Ozdebu, think small business <laughs> office at you know any sure. uh, organization or a federal agency. So what we do at DHS is uh, small business is ingrained into our uh, process. So uh, we take the um, the stance that and following the federal acquisition regulation that along with the mission because mission is always first for our agency is that small businesses are incorporated into the process. So for each component, um, the consideration is given to, uh, can small businesses actually do this work? How do we figure that? You know, we do a detailed market research, which is a team effort. It's an effort that's involved with, uh, you know, the contract specialist, the contracting officer, the program manager, my office, uh, often Jackie, Paul's, uh, we all get involved um, uh, to make sure that market research is as detailed as possible because that, what, that is what enables um, small businesses to be uh, possibly set aside to occur as prime contractors, which is what you know, most of the interest is. You know, subcontracting is one thing, but sometimes you want to be the boss. You want to be in charge. You want to have that right, uh, the right as, the, as the contractor. So, and one of the things that uh, we do um, to help that, and we'll talk about that, is uh, some of the programs, some of our outreach efforts, um, vendor outreach. Uh, we have a, a mentor protege program, and, and, and those are things that we can probably talk about later. But we do a lot of communication to industry. Um, in fact, for um, as a member of two councils, the small uh, SBA uh, Small Business Procurement Acquisition Council. And the, that's a formal council that's um, uh, mandated by law. And then there's a smaller, not so uh, mandated by law council, is the Osdebu Directors Council. So what we do every month we meet is we talk about, you know, you know how, how, how can you engage um, small businesses more? How can, uh, what are you doing at your agency? You know, what kind of efforts uh, are, are you in, in engaged in? And so we, we take those back from each other, and then we, you know, you may hate them, or you may li like them, and you implement them as you, as you, as you see fit. Um, but I guess one of the key things to, 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 to note is that um, leadership at DHS is involved in the process, which sometimes you don't find at a lot of federal agencies, uh, from top down, from the secretary down, from uh, CPO down, um, uh, the involvement is key. The partnership that uh, the Osdebu office has with uh, the chief procurement office is critical. Because if you don't have that connection, uh, I'm a former CO, so I kind of weasel my way in on some of those conversations <laughs> and things. But if you don't have that connection, sometimes the communication can get lost of why small business is so important and, you know, and, and possibly making your mark on changing the way that things are. Uh, the, way, the way things may normally have been done to follow the path of ensuring that there are small business opportunities. So we could talk about that kind of engagement, uh, specific engagement opportunities later, but uh, basically that's it. Yeah, and I, your, your point about leadership being connected to yeah. small business is so critical, and I, I, we may talk about this a little bit later, but DHS always scores so well on that annual S Small Business Administration right. scorecard. Right. Um, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, the, but DHS uh, has an astounding number of prime contracts that, that have been awarded small business. And I think that's, that's really uh, to be uh, applauded. Mm -hmm. So um, 
That's, that's obviously showing a lot of dividends. Jackie, let me turn to you. So you're uh, the director of the Strategic Programs Division. You oversee programs like category management, strategic sourcing. Uh, how are those programs changing the way that uh, Homeland Security is procuring, and, and how do those changes affect the vendors and the way you're engaging with vendors? Great question, Steve. Um, strategic sourcing has been around at DHS since about 2004. It's really ingrained in how we look at the way we buy common goods and services. And so with the expansion of category management um, in about 2016, when the government rolled out that initiative, it's uh, pushed us to take a more critical look at how we're acquiring the common goods and services, and not only about just the DHS components and what our needs are, but looking at where are there redundancies in contracts that are already available across the, the government that could really support our mission needs. And what that's done is enabled us to free up some of our valuable contracting officers' time and the program's time to really focus on the DHS-wide mission-critical items uh, for goods and services that we require. So my recommendation to vendors and to industry out there is to pay attention to what the government is doing from a government-wide perspective, because there's a lot of value in those larger contract vehicles that GSA is implementing and other agencies are taking the lead on on behalf of the government. Um, and then also utilize our DHS.gov website. We have a category management and strategic sourcing page where we also post all of the in-process DHS-wide initiatives that are coming up. So industry, as DHS has adjusted, industry's got to adjust a little bit to track some of the government-wide efforts as well as what we're doing at DHS. So one of the things I want to turn to, because when, whenever uh, I read about DHS and, and the acquisition program there, uh, it, it's always really, in some ways, inspiring uh, for me. I, uh, I used to be an editor in the federal media space, and, and it's always refreshing to see a large department like DHS do kind of fresh, innovative uh, things or, or take fresh, innovative uh, approaches to a kind of traditional, I'll say bureaucratic in quotes, uh, bureaucratic uh, processes. The Procurement Innovation Lab, the PIL, as it's called, uh, was, a, uh, was a product of the DHS acquisition program. And Paul, I'll, I'll ask you about this. Um, the effort there was to essentially bring an experimental mindset to how DHS can procure in kind of new, different ways. So tell me a little bit about what you guys are, have, have done recently, what some of the uh, results of that program have been. I'd love to, Steve. And this, uh, the PIL is a very exciting program within DHS, and, and it's really been ingrained almost throughout the whole federal government. So it's an, it was initiated back in 2015 by our chief procurement officer, Soraya Correa. Um, the PIL has been an overwhelming success. We use the PIL to address innovative techniques. And, and throughout most contracting officers' career, we try to do things innovative. This is a way to more formalize the coaching of those in innovative ideas and show, hey, they do work and, and be your support staff. One big thing is the PIL boot camps that we do. This is an immersion program. We bring, whether it's contracting officers, program staff, legal staff, um, um, we bring in actually industry. We bring industry into these events. And the beauty about this, they're, they're not like somebody sitting up and giving lectures. These are actually case studies. We go through the techniques. There's nine techniques that we have. We go through the techniques and show them how they, how they do work. And in some cases, we have, already have case law um, where people have challenged the techniques that we've used. And we've, we've, we've won every single time, Steve. And we'll continue to win because we're following, following good practices in the way, the way life should be done here within the acquisition environment. Um, I will say hot off the presses, we actually have a 10th technique that we've, we've, uh, we're going to start this year implementing. It's already been tested. We're calling it Discovery. So there's nine techniques. This is the 10th one. Discovery is um, it's a down-select process. The companies that, aren't, that, that don't move forward go on and go about their business. But the ones that go forward, we allow them to learn more about the program they're, they're trying to uh, win a contract on. Whether it's a site visit, whether it's a reading room, we have them come in and actually have a conversation with the folks that own that. And it's, again, everybody hears the same thing. It's like we're doing anything in secrecy. The beauty about this is it's, it's the way, again, the way the federal government should acquire goods and services, not behind a cloak of secrecy. Um, and a couple other examples of the, um, the pill techniques are, I mentioned advisory down select. In this case, you have a competition. 
after you do your first initial round, you realize some companies probably aren't going to be a successful awardee. You informally let them know they're probably not going to be successful in an award. And companies, they spend a lot of money on bidding proposal costs. If they hear they may not get an award, they're likely not going to go forward. And that has worked, worked awesome for us so far. Another one is something called on-the-spot consensus. So historically, we do a consensus. Everybody does individual consensus. It takes weeks, if not even longer. The on-the-spot consensus, after you, whether it's oral presentation or otherwise, you get in a room with the other evaluation folks, you do it in the same day, you decide what the consensus is, you document it, and you move forward. So those have worked really great so far for us. Well, imagine that. <laughs> Make a decision right then and there. Boy, this is great discussion, but Steve, we have to take a quick break. So please stay with us as we talk about government and industry procurement, communication and collaboration, a discussion with the Department of Homeland Security. You are listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter and government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University. Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace Marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on the Federal News Network. I'm Luann Brosman, the president of Government Marketing University. And in this episode of Market Chat, we're talking about government and industry procurement, communication, and collaboration, a discussion with the Department of Homeland Security. We have three guests today, all in senior level positions within the Department of Homeland Security Procurement Leadership Team. And Steve, that was such a great first section. I'm really excited to what you're going to talk about in the second section. Right. Well, uh, we left off at the break. Uh, Paul Courtney, uh, Deputy uh, Chief Procurement Officer at the Department of Homeland Security was telling us about the Procurement Innovation Lab, or the PIL. And during the break, uh, Paul, you were telling us about a, a pretty cool anecdote of how the PIL, uh, of kind of a new example of, of what the PIL is doing uh, featuring the air marshals. Maybe you can fill us in on that. Uh, thanks, Steve. Yeah, this is, this is, this is exciting. So we've, we've used, successfully used pure, pure pill, pill techniques. Uh, we can stop. Oh, all right, let's stop. All right. Just give them like two seconds to splice it. All right, great, Steve. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about one of our great pill projects. So we've used the techniques over 50 times in various projects throughout DHS and the federal government. One great example, as you mentioned, is the, the uh, Air Marshals Training Program. So you can only imagine how important that is for us and for DHS. In this case, the uh, procurement team wanted to, at TSA, wanted to, we're looking at using the lowest price technically acceptable to train our Air Marshals. We thought that may not be the best way to train our Air Marshals by the lowest price. So we convinced them to use one of the pill techniques. We used two of them, actually. Oral presentation on the spot consensus. So the evaluation team for this, the technical evaluation team to evaluate the offers were actually air marshals who were supposed to be on the planes, you know, protecting, protecting us. So we didn't want them out of service too long, so we had them come in. So instead of taking, I mentioned earlier, weeks, months to do the evaluation process, the on-the-spot consensus form process and the oral presentations took less than a week. It was all done. At the end of the day, we saved reams of paper, not only reams of paper, 83% shorter time frame for this procurement process than the last time TSA did wow. this procurement. 83% and the, time, the dollars saved, a couple hundred thousand dollars were saved in this process. And not only at the end of the day, TSA was happy with it, the operators were happy with it, and we had a great vendor to go do the services for us. That's terrific. Great story. So let's move on to our uh, Second topic, uh, which has to do with emerging technologies and how they're affecting uh, procurement at the Homeland Security Department. Um, Paul, uh, we hear a lot about things like data analytics, artificial intelligence, uh, cloud computing, machine learning, and so forth, uh, virtual reality. Um, how are these new emerging technologies uh, being addressed at, at the Homeland Security Department from a procurement standpoint, and how is, how is that affecting your program? So, Steve, these are exciting times. Technology is ever-changing, as we hear every day in the news. Um, so a couple, I'll give you some real-life examples of what DHS is doing using technologies. One is, um, and I, I want to also say we want to leverage successes of other organizations as well. For instance, the Department of, of the Army, they created this bot. It's called DORA. I assume, after I explain what it is, you'll understand my analogy here. It's named after Dora the Explorer, Great. if you've ever heard of that. Oh, yeah. 
So, so contracting officers, every time they work, before they award a contract, they have to determine, determine contract responsibility. Can they actually, are they a good company to award a contract to? It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, but really it's going out and pouring resources and, and doing documentation. What the Army's created, this bot, it does it all automatically for you. It saves days of time, and, in, and the contracting officers can concentrate on more important things. So your Army's created this. They're, they're allowing other departments to use it, so we're going we're gonna to leverage that within DHS. So again, that's exciting. So anything we can do to save folks time to concentrate on more important things. A second big thing that we're doing on behalf of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy is a AI initiative regarding the Contract Performance Assessment Reporting System, or CPARS, as it's better known. DHS is leading this pilot, but we're not doing it alone. We have many forward-leaning contracting officers throughout the federal government, our own chief information office community, and Arizona State University, and with the help of our industry partners. We, we're doing this pilot today. And as, as like the DORA bot I mentioned, the, the part behind this, there's millions of records in CPARs. What this does, if we have a procurement we want to do, we want to go back and check past performance of companies, we will use the AI created by these vendors that are helping us do this, comb through those millions of pieces of information, and come back and give us relevant documents. We're in the middle of the pilot right now. Another very exciting thing to do, because this is a very tedious exercise, very important, but very tedious for, for contracting staff to do. So this is another great initiative using, this case, using AI, Army using the bot. We're looking at RPA. We're looking at all sorts of technologies to help help our staff, not just in, in the department, but throughout the federal government. Again, we want to leverage each other's successes. So we're, uh, we're very excited about these two efforts, and we'll continue to do more efforts like these. That's great. Well, pretty cool. So, Jackie, let me turn to you. Um, about a year ago, uh, Soraya Correa had placed an announcement in FedBizOps Fed to industry um, with a, I would say, a fairly um, momentous uh, proclamation, which was that the Eagle II contract, which uh, has been the preferred IT services contract at DHS for uh, a number of years now, uh, would not be recompeted. Um, and instead, uh, DHS was going to move to a best-in-class contracting uh, approach and instead use the government-wide acquisition contracts that uh, most people are familiar with, Alliant and CIOSP and so forth. Um, so I guess the question is, uh, with this shift, uh, should we anticipate any other uh, kind of shifts towards a best-in-class contract approach for, for other procurement uh, categories? Uh, and what about things that, like, you know, agile technology or cloud or some of the more, you know, these emerging technologies, uh, do you expect that those are going to go to department-specific contracts or to more best-in-class type contracts? Thanks for the question, Steve. Um, you know, about a year ago when we made this announcement, we recognized that, you know, Eagle has largely represented how we've acquired IT services ac across DHS and that there are many redundant contract offerings out there across the government. And so our shift to category management and balancing what um, OMB has asked us to do and looking at what are redundant contract vehicles and, and what's out there and available, we decided to adopt these vehicles that we saw as largely redundant while also enabling us to implement our own suite of DHS-wide, DHS-specific, what we consider to be specialized contract vehicles. So I do believe that in the future we will make more of these similar decisions because as more best-in-class contract vehicles are available, we're going to consider to what extent could those vehicles meet our mission, how redundant are they in um, some of the contracts that we have that are in existence, and what is the impact on industry? There's a significant impact on industry in managing and supporting multiple redundant contract vehicles across the government. So industry is definitely a consideration in these decisions. Um, but there are times where, as you've alluded, we require our own specialized vehicle, where we want some consistency in the vendor pool across, the uh, across DHS, where we would like some terms and conditions that we can all set on and really gain some optimal uh, pricing and other advantages in terms of what we're getting in term in scope. Um, and there are times where, as an agency, we recognize that some of these vehicles are really omnibus in rewarding the breadth of capabilities of the industrial base, but they are not really competed to um, with the scope and, and in rewarding breadth um, depth. Excuse me. And 
So when we need that depth of capability and the specialization in those areas, we're going to consider implementing our own contracts. Uh, one of the big efforts that we have right now that we're working with our uh, chief uh, information officer on is our data centers and cloud optimization effort. And that is under the Eagle Next Gen portfolio, and it's a very specific DHS specialized contract. And as I mentioned before, anytime we're making uh, those kinds of decisions, we're going to inform industry so that they can properly prepare and anticipate what's coming. So Jackie, let me follow up with that. So I imagine with that decision, uh, there's probably a whole new uh, world of vendors out there from the GWAC community, the best-in-class contracts, that now uh, are looking at DHS as a, as a, uh, a prime opportunity. Uh, what has that done in terms of your engagements with the vendor community? Steve, it's, it's meant that you know, we're looking at a whole new um, section and segment of the industrial base. And so we get out there and we're marketing, um, working with the, the GWAC um, and best-in-class uh, program offices to specifically educate those vendors on how to do business with the DHS. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that we did explore the extent to which the vendor pools on these GWACs have previously supported DHS, and specifically in the last couple years. Past experience has taught us that, um, especially from feedback from industry, costs a lot of money to stand up a book of business in supporting a new agency. And so making sure that vendors who are familiar with DHS were represented on these GWACs was critical, but also the key opportunity of accessing new vendors who could really um, step in and, and get to know our landscape. Great, yeah. Darlene, uh, let, me, let me ask you about kind of the impact of, of this decision on small business. So how has, gone, how has the decision of taking DHS more towards a best-in-class uh, procurement approach affected uh, uh, your engagements with the small business uh, community? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say they affected engagement so much. Um, I think um, anytime a best-in-class contract is created or deemed one from a contract that's already been awarded, it affects small and large companies because you know now the vendors that were awarded those contracts um, are kind of they're locked in as the awardees, and unless there's some kind of on-ramping, there's no way for any size company to to, to, to try to become uh, a part of that contract now. What we do see a lot, and you know, Jackie mentioned, is you know, going out and exploring what contracts did meet our goals, and um, like you mentioned, breadth and depth. But uh, there's some that are set aside just for small business, like AA Stars, Vets Two, um, Alliance Small Business, Alliance Small when it was uh, there. Uh, so um, we we do pay close attention to that. I pay close attention to you know small businesses, uh, our vendor base, and is it shrinking, is it growing? And it can be for a variety of reasons. It's not just because of category management. Um, we don't have a one-to-one -one correlation about that. I mean, what you will see that there are uh, larger contracts, smaller awards, and that's even with any um, size company, um, small or large company. So what we do try to promote is what I try to uh, keep promoting is even for those um, contracts, um, you know, say you're using an alliance to do some work. You know, we can, subcontracting is one of my pushes for this fiscal year and beyond because if we're going to use these things, we should be at least have an opportunities for uh, small businesses to participate in some sort of way. And sub subcontracting is one of the, the ways that I think we should be going. Yeah, terrific. Mm -hmm. And while we're uh, on the topic of, of small business, uh, one of the big uh, contracts, I'm sure, on the minds of a, of a lot of the small business uh, vendors out there is First Source. Mm -hmm. And uh, First Source 3 is the is going to be the recompete of, of the current First, First Source 2, which is a 100% small business um, contract for COTS uh, IT hardware and software. Mm -hmm. um, so can you uh, just give us a little bit of a, uh, an update on as as to where that stands right now. So for First Source 3, it was a good question. We are working diligently on First Source 3. So Jackie and I and our other uh, colleague, uh, Victoria Short, who is the HCA, the head of the contract and activity for the Office of Procurement Operations, who will be the executive agent, the procuring office for First Source 3. Uh, so uh, what 
First Source 3 will be, I will say, is that it will be all small business awards again. And we are pushing more of managed services, uh, the service piece that's connected to products that we that are being purchased under First Source 3, et cetera. So we'll have more updates and a more defined timeline probably in the next couple couple of months, couple of weeks, uh, and we post it on uh, beta.sam.gov. Beta.sam.gov. And Steve, let me let me really uh, chime in here on what Darlene said and how critically important it is. I mean, First Source has been the leg- legacy commoditized IT um, contract vehicle, highly successful for us. Mm-hmm. And so we're exploring how has the delivery of commoditized IT changed and how can we ensure that we afford our components the opportunity to access commoditized IT, whether they need to buy it for themselves or whether, as Darlene mentioned, it's through the managed service delivery model. Mm-hmm. And, and so the requirement and scope is, is truly evolving, and we want to make sure we get it right so that it withstands the test of time. Because yeah. the last thing we want to do on an IT procurement is have it awarded and then nearly obsolete uh, within you know a year or two. Right. And let me add a bit to that. We talk a lot. We say small business, but you know, but I want to make sure we for first source three and you know a lot of the procurements that we do. The potential first source three is that uh, it'll be similar to first source two, where the awards are throughout different socioeconomic groups. So we say small, but I want to make sure hub zones understand women-owned, uh, service-disabled, veteran-owned companies, et cetera, understand that we're, we're there'll be that same type of. Uh, uh, those same type of awards. Wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. Steve, we need to take a break. So we are so excited with all this information that you've been sharing today. So again, big thanks out to our panelists. And I'm really excited for this next third segment of our program because we're really going to be asking those questions that our listeners want to know around marketing. You know, how, do we, how do industry get visibility in front of the leaders that we have on the panel today? So we're taking a break. Uh, Stay with us as we talk about government and industry procurement communication and collaboration, a discussion with the Department of Homeland Security. You are listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University. Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace Marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. I'm Luann Brossman, the president and founder of Government Marketing University, and I've got Steve Watkins here with me today, our chief content officer. In this episode of Market Chat, we're talking about government and industry procurement, communications and collaboration, a discussion with the Department of Homeland Security with three leaders in their procurement office. And we're having discussions today that I hope our listeners are really taking good notes, as well as we'll be, as we always do, posting additional information you know, on our gmarku.com website. So, Steve, take it away. Great. Thanks, Luann. So, uh, in this segment, we're going to be talking uh, more about kind of how to market to DHS uh, for our marketing audience. Jackie, I'd like to start with you. So you're not only the uh, director of the Strategic Sourcing Program Office, but you also um, oversee the Communications and Industry Liaison branch of the uh, Procurement uh, Office at DHS. Um, what are some of the recommended uh, methods and approaches that, that you would suggest for a company that's new to DHS um, that wants to educate uh, the DHS procurement community about what what their capabilities and offerings are and, and how they can suit uh, DHS missions and, and requirements. And, um, and what are the best ways for, for vendors in general to market to DHS? Well, Steve, there are so many resources that we at DHS have available. So the first recommendation is for someone new to just do their research Spend time on our DHS.gov webpage. Um, on that site, uh, there's a Do Business with DHS um, page that includes our small business um, resources. It gives a list of small business specialists and, and Darlene's team um, who can be supportive of small businesses trying to um, enter the DHS marketplace. 
We also have um, industry liaisons, as you mentioned. Um, I've got a fantastic team of industry liaisons, and then there's industry liaisons with each, within each of our components. Um, all of those points of contact are regularly updated and maintained on that particular site. Our DHS.gov website will give a, a company um, insight into the different missions that we serve. We have many components and directorates that comprise you know, the Department of Homeland Security. And while each one has very distinct missions, they are complementary. So the big recommendation is for industry to familiarize themselves with what each component does and understand which one um, best aligns with what their offerings uh, and capabilities are. Highly recommend that if you are new to DHS that you don't try to boil the ocean, that you align yourself to maybe one or two components that you're trying to target to do business with as an entryway into um, DHS. I'd like to point out we also have what we call the Acquisition Planning Forecast System. We call it APFS for short. Great resource. It gives our, our planning forecast of up to a good year or so out for what procurements are coming um, out of DHS across the entire, um, all of the components. That resource is significant. It's going to point folks in the direction of what product service codes or what NAICS codes we're looking at utilizing, um, what is the scope of the particular requirements. And so there's a lot of search features um, that I highly recommend industry familiarize themselves with. You can set up um, alerts so that you can, you can limit your searches. Um, but a great tool, I will mention, it is a planning forecast system. It's not going to be 100% accurate all the time. Things change. Um, you put out a plan, plans change. So it's just a really great starting point for folks to leverage. Um, another thing that we encounter, we meet with a lot of our industry partners, and we're happy to do so. So um, please reach out to us. We're, we're happy to meet. But I will mention that it's important for industry to know who they're meeting with and what role they serve at DHS. So across our broad enterprise, there's so many folks. And... There's missed opportunities when people arrive to a meeting and they don't have an alignment of what they're talking about that really is you know, serving that official's interests. And so keep in mind, uh, know who you're meeting with, know your audience. And then you know, one final parting comment here is about uh, industry's websites. Um, sometimes in the interest of time or just in exploring what are the capabilities out there, our contracting officers, our program officials, they use industry's websites to see what is the real landscape and how can I frame my acquisition strategy and how I'm going to fulfill this requirement. I can't tell you enough how many times industry misses real opportunities because their websites are not robust enough or really don't um, give meaningful content for a program official or a contracting officer to really decipher what is that true capabilities of that company. So I, I'm going to harp on the fact that websites are critically important, that industry should not overlook that. So Jackie, I have a question leading on that with the websites, because we talk a lot about how important websites are. Mm -hmm. uh, from your perspective, and, and both of the other panelists as well, when you go to a potential vendor's website, how important is it that they have a federal page or federalized content versus commercial content? So. I don't think it's very important at all. I, I think that sometimes it's nice to see that a business is familiar with uh, supporting the federal government, but it's all about the capabilities. And so whether you deliver commercially or to the government, as long as we can understand what are your capabilities and what you deliver, your, your key offerings, I don't believe that you really need to segment that uh, between federal, uh, federal support and, and your commercial book of business. Do you have anything to add, yeah, Darlene? I'll, I'll add a, a couple things Jackie mentioned before. Was uh, uh, I think one of the key things is that when you have a website, it doesn't work at all. And I'll mention that just as you know, you go to some of these websites and the domain name may have been purchased, but there's nothing behind it. That drives you nuts. And that drives you kind of nuts. So it's like, okay, well, you you have interest in a you know million dollar procurement or more. You know what we do at the department, but you the website doesn't. Work. I mean, the confidence is already shaken. Mm -hmm. So you have to be what Jackie mentioned and make sure mm -hmm. it's. Um, um, you have the correct information and something that we can find. The, the other thing uh, Jackie mentioned was boiling the water, is that, you know, make sure when you come to us is that you, you know, you're not telling me you're cutting grass and you can provide an IT system. They're two different mm. things. Yep. Make sure that you are specific in what it is your capabilities are, what it is that you do well, what it is that you can bring to the department, you know. 
don't try to cover everything, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, the other thing also is APFS really quick. Is that Jackie mentioned APFS, but it's also a planning tool. It's the best one in the federal government. I will make that statement here on the radio. And mm -hmm. that, uh, just to be clear, there for uh, the, the appropriate procurements over um, the simplified acquisition threshold, so over the $250,000. So I just want to make those okay. three things. No, that's, that's really important. Uh -huh. And I had a question on the APFS. That sounds amazing. Um, is that a, a is that a DHS creation or does that exist at other departments? It is a DHS creation. However, other other departments have um, taken a similar approach right. uh, to forecasting, and they have their own um, separate systems. But it is something that we created at DHS, and um, actually, our our fearless leader, the CPO. Uh, she had created that years ago, and really it, it's come a long way. And as Darlene said, we, we really do feel it's the best in the government. Yeah. Agencies are required to have a forecast published. We just knock it out of the park with our, with our right. system. We've but we'll make sure that we highlight that. We like things that are knocked out of the right. park. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let, let's turn uh, back to small business because uh, we had mentioned earlier DHS just uh, – consistently gets glowing reports uh, from the Small Business Administration for how well uh, it contracts with small businesses. So Darlene, I wanted to ask you, um, what is it that, that makes DHS, what's the secret sauce there for DHS, and where do you see things going uh, from, from here in terms of your engagement with small business? Well, uh, just a few stats since you kind of mentioned it, is that uh, the SBA produces a scorecard every fiscal year. So even though we're in fiscal year 20, we'll, we'll get the fiscal year 19 scorecard results in a couple months from now, probably this summer. Uh, and so DHS has had 10 A's in a row since fiscal year 2018. I mean, 2008, I'm sorry. Uh, in uh, 2018 was the first time that we um, met or exceeded all of our prime contracting goals and our subcontracting small business subcontracting goals, so we're really proud of that. Um, fiscal year uh, 18, uh, 19, we spent about uh, $6.5 billion in small business prime awards. So part of it is what we kind of talked about earlier, uh, you know, the cohesiveness of this group, the team, um, things like APFS, um, things like when we do uh, um, some of the communications that we've had, um, um, the integration of small business is part of you know, help and support the mission. You know, we call small business mission enablers. So that's one of the things when I go out and speak, you know, small businesses help us. So we have to think of them as partners. And so, you know, a lot of times they're, you know, I'm a small business person, so that's mine. Uh, but, you know, sometimes if there's that, that clash, you know, they can't do it, they can. Mm -hmm. we, we have a lot of examples where they can do it and they do a great job, but and they help enable the mission. So that's why we, we think of it that way. And that's one of the reasons we've been so successful because we've taken that approach. Well, one of the cool things that you guys do is what you call the small business vendor outreach session. Right. So I mm -hmm. wanted to ask you about that. That's where you invite a small business in for a 15-minute meeting. Um, tell us a little bit about um, kind of how a vendor, a small business out there might arrange one of these sessions and um, what advice would you have for them in terms of how they can make the most positive impact in that meeting? Well, at the vendor outreach sessions, we hold 10 a year, fiscal year, uh, and we do not have them in April or the busy month of September, so we don't. So if you go to the website, Jackie mentioned our Do Business uh, 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 DHS website, uh, the schedule for vendor outreach sessions is there. And so what we do is each one of the small business specialists and also our prime contractors, large companies, um, they participate in vendor outreach. So they have, we have these tables set up. We call it like a speed dating type thing. So there's, there's scheduling. There's a whole process. You can't just show up. Um, if you look on the list, we, this month, we, for, for March, we, have, uh, we, we highlight women. So the women-owned small business program, only those companies can attend. In November, we do veterans. Uh, so we, we do kind of, you know. Uh, mix it up a little bit. Do these um, events usually sell out, not sell out? They do. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you a quick highlight about the last event we had in February. Uh, it was the fastest. It took four minutes and a couple seconds for the sessions to, to, fill, to, up. to fill up. It, 
Hear uh, that, listeners? Be quick. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> pay attention there's to a do method business. to it. I think people just sit on the computer and just, you know, start typing. How am I getting but, big tickets for the Kennedy yeah, a week Center? Before, <laughs> yeah, a week before the actual session, and then the information is on the website. Um, um, that's when you put you try to get the schedule. So okay. you try to go in and get it. The following Thursday is when we actually have the outreach. So event. explain that again. So the Thursday before, let's say the next VOS session, I believe, is March 26th. That's a women-owned. So on March 19th is when the scheduling session opens. Okay, so about two weeks before the... A week before. A week before. A week before. Okay. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. And so you just have to be ready. But I'll tell you, February, they went, they went like... Uh, it was the fastest... We have a new scheduling system we use. Um, the link's on the website, and it took four minutes. But how many vendors do you normally have at those sessions? Uh, there are 50... Oh... Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know offhand. We have, we do it from nine, nine, nine fifteen to twelve. Okay. And they're fifteen minute segments, and we take okay. about a half an hour break. So okay. imagine, imagine, yeah. uh, so let's say ten components, morning, yeah. ten ten components, tables, and you have three or four or five large primes, and it's fifteen minutes for those three hours for each person. So it's, 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 it's a yeah. lot. It's a couple hundred a year. That's great. So mm -hmm. listeners, we'll put a lot more information about that yes. on our website mm -hmm. under our market chat page. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Paul, let me turn to you. So you've, you've been at uh, DHS uh, for only about nine months now, but you've been in the, in the federal procurement uh, uh, business for uh, about three decades or so, uh, FBI prior to DHS. So uh, let me just ask, uh, what, what are some of the effective ways or, or tips that you would have for our vendor audience to communicate with DHS and kind of share what their capabilities are? No, excellent question, Steve. So I'll be honest, when I get a, what it looks like a generic email in my box, and as you can imagine, we all get a lot of emails every day. Um, if I look at it, it looks like a form letter, I hit the old delete button and just pay no attention to it. Um, Jackie mentioned the industry liaisons, and let me just footstop what she said. They're amazing in the department, not only at headquarters, but throughout the department. We have a great workforce. And their job is to liaison with the industry, so they do a tremendous job. But I would, I would just highly recommend if you're going to, if you want to, if you get an opportunity to come in and meet, and we have, we want to meet with all vendors. Constant flow of vendors coming in and meeting with us. Make sure the vendors are very clear on what they want to come talk to us about, um, and the industry liaisons can make sure the right people in the room. You definitely, the vendors want to seize the opportunity. We want to hear about what the vendors are going to provide, but we want to make sure the right people in the room because. You know, it's because we have so many vendors that do business with DHS or want to do business with us. There's a lot of people coming in to meet with us, and, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. So, again, recommend make sure they, they uh, very clear what they want to come talk to us about, very clear in their messaging to us. Work with the industry liaisons. They're, again, they're fantastic people. And, and tie what their capabilities are. Uh, Darlene and Jackie both said, don't try to boil the ocean. They want to come in and sell screening products. For, for airports, let's not bring the Secret Service in. Let's just make sure very clear on what they want to come sell us and, and know, know your audience. Jackie mentioned it. If you're going to come meet with the, with the chief procurement officer and the CAO shop, just know who you're meeting with. Do, we're all out in the public record. It would be very easy to find out what, uh, who we are and who, who they're meeting with. So again, I, I would just foot stomp that. Make it personalized when you come in. Generic messages go nowhere. Right. So. Be specific. Be specific. Uh, do your homework. Know who you're meeting, uh, and uh, be very clear about about what your offerings and capabilities are before you uh, make that appointment. So, great advice, um, Jackie. Would you add anything to that? I, I think Paul did a fantastic job. I would just foot stomp that we have so much uh, in resources, and we're very transparent in what we're doing. So, utilize what you can uh, to take advantage of those opportunities that we have for you. Thanks, Jackie. And you know, Steve, we could go on for days. And I, I want to say to our panelists, thank you. And I think absolutely, I'd, we'd love to have you back in the studio sometime or, or another activity within Government Marketing University because the value that you have brought today is just sensational. So thank you, you know, for taking the time. So we have with us today again, Paul Courtney, the Deputy Chief Procurement Officer, Darlene Bullock, she's the Executive Director of the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. And we have Jackie Rubino, who is the Executive Director of the Strategic Programs Division. Market Chat, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to Market Chat, Government Industry Communication and Collaboration, sponsored by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network.
Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace, marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales, are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. The Humane Rescue Alliance is cracking down on animal fighting in the district, but they need your help. If you witness any of the following signs of dog fighting, call 202-723-5730, option 3. Dogs with scars on their face, front legs, chest, thighs, and hind end, especially pit bull type dogs. Frequent movement of dogs, the same dog coming back with injuries. Dogs on heavy chains. Several dogs chained in close proximity to each other in a secluded area. Excessive barking or sounds of distress. Homemade electric treadmills or custom-made treadmills with a chain or a harness attached. Spring poles, which are usually made from raw hide, heavy knotted rope, or a tire that's suspended from a tree branch or a beam. Bread sticks used to break up fights, which are often made of wood or plexiglass, around a foot long and flattened out on one side. If you suspect dog fighting is taking place in D.C., call 202-723-5730, option 3. With your help, they can work to end animal fighting in the district. Do you know a federal employee facing a tragedy like their own or a family member's serious illness or a death in the family? Is the tragedy also causing financial struggles? Feds Helping Feds Charity, FIA, may be able to help. FIA offers no-fee, no-interest loans to feds experiencing a variety of hardships. Special thanks to Blue Cross Blue Shield and Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield for supporting FIA in expanding this program. Find eligibility requirements and other program details at feea.org emergency. Celebrate the extraordinary achievements in blood cancer research at the 33rd Annual Leukemia Ball, Saturday, March 21st. The evening will feature a fabulous silent auction, a comedic performance by Seth Meyers, and music by the leg warmers and Damian Escobar. Over the last 32 years, the Leukemia Ball has raised more than $65 million for life-saving cancer research and patient programs provided by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's National Capital Area Chapter. More information at leukemiaball.org.